0: Hello, Poddlers. I hope you're well. In this week's episode, I speak to content creator and writer Demi Colleen. We discuss living with ADHD, getting diagnosed and how this has impacted her timeline. I really hope you enjoy listening. And as always, please do rate, review and subscribe. Bye. So Demi, tell me, when did you get diagnosed with ADHD?
1: So I was diagnosed just over a year ago. So I think it was January last year. Yeah, so I was diagnosed with ADHD inattentive type after having to speak with my psychiatrist and doing many, many, many forms and waiting. But uh, yeah, and then I was able to start medication, luckily a few months later than that, yeah. And when did you first start to think that maybe it was
0: ADHD that you had?
1: I don't think there was necessarily a specific moment where I realized I think there'd been a period of time especially during lockdown where I'd been watching TikToks as a lot of people were and I started seeing some videos come up about ADHD and there were just a few things that felt a little bit close to home and I was like "Mm, this is a bit (laughs) this is a bit familiar. I had a few people that I knew of personally that had been recently diagnosed and when they were speaking about their experiences, I just, it was almost like a mirror and I thought there's, this has to be something I need to look into. The weird thing is is that my sister was diagnosed with ADHD when she was nine years old, but she was diagnosed with um, combined type ADHD. And I think there was more of a heavy focus on the hyperactive uh, aspect of it. So that was my view of ADHD. So I never really considered before 2021 that I would have it because I just thought that's what ADHD looks like and you know when I was trying to speak about it with my family you know that my mum was a bit skeptical she was like mm, I don't think so because again her view was of what my sister had so we were all quite surprised actually when the diagnosis came back that I did have it
0: it's really interesting you said that you realized you seeing it through TikTok because I actually went to the GP and said look I've got all of these reasons why a bit like you i kind of over time accrued all this information about why I thought I fit the profile for some of ADHD and the first thing that GP said to me turned around and went have you seen this on TikTok and I was like no I actually don't have TikTok on my phone and he was like mm, everyone of your generations thinks I have ADHD what do you do for a job and then I told him and then his face just literally just went blank and I then didn't do anything about it I left but how did you go about getting your diagnosis did you end up going privately did you manage to get it to your GP because I know it's something that's It's difficult for everyone, but I know you've spoken about this, it's even more difficult if you're not like a young white boy, especially that's kind of the demographic that seems to get diagnosed most easily.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first let me just say I'm absolutely appalled that that was your experience. I think I was very lucky because when I spoke to my GP, it was definitely before the sort of boom, I think, uh, on the popularity of the topic started uh, taking place. But, you know, I don't really understand why I'm hearing that GPs are taking that attitude because ultimately all they need to do is put in the referral. It doesn't cost them anything specifically, you know, extra effort. It is quite a straightforward process. So to be able to discount people's experiences or what they're thinking, I mean, ultimately, most people are not going to seek out a diagnosis like that or contemplate it if they didn't think that they fit the profile. And that's not to say that some people aren't going to maybe misjudge it. But I think if you're seeing a lot of these symptoms resonate, then it's completely fair and within your rights to ask for advice. For me, no, I didn't have a private diagnosis. I did go to my GP and had it all done on the NHS. Um, So I think I probably went to my GP, let's say roughly around, you know, beginning of the summer. And I heard back from Psychiatry UK within a couple of months and I had to fill in various forms. And I also had to get my family members to fill in forms as well, which was quite (laughs) scary having to sort of confront what, you know, I think obviously I was aware and I thought I had it, but seeing how it impacted people in your life was quite a kind of sad thing to read because you don't realize your behaviors have such an impact. You know, my boyfriend, for example, is very, very patient, but I didn't realize that, you know, I came across as. I wasn't listening or wasn't interested and not paying attention. And I felt really bad that I was making him feel that way. So after that, I think I finally got off an appointment and it was actually for a year's time. And I was really, really lucky because they called me up one day and they said, we've had a cancellation. We've got an appointment with the psychiatrist in a couple of months. Do you want it? And I took it, but generally there's very, very long waiting times for these things. Some people are waiting up to a couple of years just to hear back from the psychiatrist. So I was really, really lucky that my experience was quite quick, but it was still a bit of a bit of an issue because, you know, during that time you feel like you're really struggling and there's no help in the middle to sort of get you somewhere. And also when I was diagnosed, they were able to only fund one type of treatment. They said you can either have medication or therapy. So I picked medication, which means that now I have to fund the therapy side myself which obviously can be very expensive
0: you mentioned that your sister had sort of like hyperactive type of um ADHD which I agree with you I think that's kind of the version that we feel more familiar with or did years ago like when we I was little people did you say to me of ADHD and it was a massive insult as a child I don't know if people have you, and it was kind of like it was a bit of a blur, but like, oh my god, just so ADHD, which is weird because I I think thankfully culturally our opinions have changed slightly on that. But how does it manifest for you? Because obviously the the way you're describing it and like you said, you didn't even realise. How does it manifest in in you?
1: Yeah, because there's a massive difference in one how it manifests as a child and two in uh, boys and girls, men and women. So f- for example, my sister, she was quite literally, I guess, what you'd call the, the stereotypical bouncing off the walls. She just never sat down. She was physically unable to keep her butt in a seat at school. She was disruptive. Routine never helped. She was just completely chaotic. And on top of that, I think she also had uh, autism, So you know, which is also very common with people that have ADHD. So when you're an adult, You know, hyperactivity is going to look very different. We have to sometimes mask our symptoms to be able to go into the workplace and do our jobs and get paid. So we're not going to be running up and down and getting up during meetings because we know it's not appropriate, but it will look different. So it might be that we are unable to, you know, hold our attention for very long, or it might be that we interrupt people when they're speaking because we can't wait for our turn or it might be that we you know change subjects or whatever it is or maybe we're very loud it can also mean i suppose fleeting from you know relationships or friendships that sort of thing so it's not what you would typically think as hyperactive but that is how it can manifest in an adult now as i said mine was mostly focused on inattentive i have a few aspects of the hyperactivity so Even though my sister also had the inattentive type, you know, you put it down to her being hyperactive, you think these just kind of go together. And I think I've always had certain feedback at jobs. So I was being a veterinary nurse for 10 years or just over 10 years. And I always used to hear, you know, every time we give you a list to do, Demi, there's always something that drops off, or you don't finish tasks to completion, or, you know, seems like you're not able to handle it and you know I've anybody that knows that sort of job is very difficult you have many things to do at once and I always thought I was actually very good at it I mean I was able to maintain having a job for the past 10 plus years so I kind of disagreed with their feedback and I always thought that it was just them being difficult or moaning and then as the years went on and I think you slowly start to unmask and it starts to seep through a bit more I was realizing this kind of came in the time when I was thinking maybe I had it and I was the only nurse in my clinic. So there were times when I would find myself doing a task and I would literally just turn the other direction and go and do something else. And I'd catch myself sometimes and I'd be like, what the hell are you doing? Like you've not even finished doing that. And then I it started to click and I was like, this is what they mean about things dropping off because I would just stop doing it and do something else or I'd forget or whatever it is. So You know, it it can be difficult to do normal things like maintain a job. Just it might look like laziness. It might look like you don't care. It might look like you're not a team player. But actually, it's just because you have this uh, condition and you don't know how to manage it or you don't even know that you have it. So luckily, my employer was quite amenable. And once I did tell him, we were able to kind of make adjustments. But I realized that actually working in that sort of situation full-time under somebody else was just simply not for me. I needed to be more in control of my own structure because it does play with your emotions as well. I think when you're being told these things, you have your appraisals and they're, you know, making out that you're lazy and you don't care. Same thing that happened at school when I'd have these reports, you know, it made me feel really crap about myself. So I thought if I took back that control and only I can tell myself off, then you know maybe I'll be able to actually make more progress. Oh, God, there's
0: so many things that I want to ask you about and that I can relate to. So you mentioned briefly about the reports because I listened to you on Shantae, our friend's amazing podcast, Pop Culture with Shantae, Joseph, which is the Guardian podcast. And you mentioned about this thing that in your school reports, you always get kind of, Demi's so clever, but she's she's got so much potential, but she's not living up to it. Tell us more about your school reports and then uh, and like how going forwards now, I guess having that sort of lid lifted and looking back and going, oh my God, all that time, this was the answer. How does that feel? And like, how do you reflect on it now looking back?
1: Yeah, so literally from primary school, I, and it's funny because I didn't kind of realise it at the time because obviously I was in primary school, but when I read the reports many, many years later, I was like very confused that every Yeah, it was like, you know, Demi gets the material, she understands, but, you know, when it comes to tests or things like that, she's not living up to her potential, she's not meeting her potential. And, you know, it's not like we didn't try things like get tutors and things like that, but there was always this barrier that I just couldn't quite cross. And I knew I was putting in the effort because, I mean, I was balancing a lot of things at the time. I was dancing, you know, maybe four times a week. I was in acting school and doing schoolwork. And I was trying really hard in all of them. And yet, I wasn't getting the grades in some things that apparently I should be getting. So this happened all through primary school. And then when I got to secondary school, it was the same thing. And now looking back, I'm just like, okay, but if I've had the same teacher for like multiple years, for example, why was it not picked up on? Or why did nothing, you know, become... A concern of like, why are we repeating ourselves? And they just put it down to laziness because it was like, oh, I had the capability, but I just couldn't be bothered. So that meant that for some reasons, you know, I was put into, I don't know if you had this at school, but like sets in terms of like ability in the wrong set, because actually I did understand it and I was able to, you know, do better. Like I'm thinking off the top of my head, maths, for example, I was put in this sort of middle-ish set. And that meant that the paper I sat was capped at getting a C. But had I had the intervention, because I know now doing nursing where I've had to use a lot of numbers and math, I get it. But if I'd had that help, I would have been able to sit a higher paper, which would have meant potentially my prospects of what I wanted to do would have been a bit more open. So it was very frustrating to think back and think I was failed in some ways. And I was very lucky that I had a few teachers, uh, namely in art and English, which is kind of ironic because I feel like those are the things that I do now. They must've recognized something and they were really, really harsh on me, but I'm so thankful because they were the ones where I was able to get incredible grades at because I actually believed that I was capable. Mm. They taught me different ways to learn. And that's why I was able to pursue it. And I think that's probably a reason why I've come into doing a job where I am writing and I am being creative because it's just felt safe for me. Whereas math, for example, I'm terrified of, absolutely terrified. Like it gives me anxiety to even think about numbers. I mean, to this day, I still struggle with things that I think actually this might be a common thing with ADHD. I think it's called dyscalculia when you have I guess difficulty with like visualizing numbers and whatever. Like, I can't read clocks very well. Me neither. I can't. Like, I can't. I it doesn't tell the
0: time. That is so funny. You said that.
1: Every time my mum would like try and get me a watch with like it would have words on it and everything, and I'd be trying to learn. And it's like if I had it in front of me, I could get it. But if you asked me the time. Sit. Not doing.
0: I, it. I don't wear because I used to wear watch kind of as jewelry, but I was so terrified. I could see if I had the time, time. <laughs> and I could like look at it, but if someone asked me, the panic would set in, and I couldn't like in that moment yeah. look at it. If I was by oh, myself, it's broken. Sorry, <laughs> if I was by myself, I could. Do it. but That's really interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. that was, yeah, like, yeah. A so it's
1: quite a comment, and and this is something I discovered. But you know, this brings me back to your point about the GP making a crappy remark about TikTok because I only found that out through social media and I'm not to say that the app doesn't have a lot of misinformation on there but I wouldn't have known that and that was like one of the things that made me you know question I was like well surely you know uh, most people in the world are able to read a clock I should be able to do this I have a job where I'm using numbers for example like things that I can write down and I get it so why am I struggling with this particular thing And I was like, there must be something, there must be a reason for this. And it's not because I'm just, you know, I'm unable, There's, there's a reason for this. So, you know, it's been a bit of a ride, I suppose, but it's taught me so much about myself and how I learn. And I think the biggest thing was basically working for myself has given me the tools to be able to figure out how my brain works, how it doesn't work, what's right for me to be kinder to myself, to know that some days it's just not happening and then when those days are good to just sort of take them and, and run with them basically but it's it's an ongoing process I think trying to trying to know yourself it's like a new person that you have ADHD.
0: Definitely how did it kind of change your timelines in terms of like how did you feel coming to the diagnosis did you have any of that shame around like the idea of having or that was it just like a big relief and going forwards has it made your life easier having the diagnosis and and being on medication? You know, how has it kind of shifted everything for you?
1: I don't know if relief was 100% what I felt. I think after my, I mean, after I came off the meeting with my psychiatrist, I actually cried because yes, there was relief, but I also felt incredibly sad because it was like I was grieving for younger me because I thought, Jesus, if I had known this and everyone around me had known this, It could have been so different. The stress, the anxiety, the bullying, the belittling from teachers, the grades, the encouragement, you know, it it could have all just been a completely different story. But on the flip side, and it's not to sort of make light of trauma or anything like that, but, you know, I... I suppose it's like just kind of restructuring it in my mind that if I hadn't gone through all of those things, then I wouldn't be who I am today. And obviously, I could have done w- without a lot of it, but I'm still grateful for those experiences to a degree because I'm able to, I guess, be, you know, find strength in those things. So, yeah, it was a weird thing. I think even now I'm only just coming to terms with the diagnosis. I thought I had many, many months ago, but it was like an ongoing process because. I'm on medication and I have been since about April last year and there's a thing that you go through called titration where they have to find the right medication, find the right dose and at first I was really struggling because this is what I talk about with the misinformation on social media. I expected that when I took that pill that it was going to be, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Limitless. Literally that's what I imagined. It. so. Funny. And I was going to yeah. be like, oh wow, this is, this you is what clearly, life should be yeah. like. And, and it wasn't like that at all. You know, I had insomnia and, um, I was sweating a lot and I was just, you know, I was like, this isn't, this isn't like Bradley Cooper at all. <laughs> um, and you know, we've only just now found the medication that works for me and it's actually you know like a combination of two different medications and all of this and even then it's not like when I take it I feel an instant thing it's like some days are great and then sometimes it's just not happening Mm. doesn't matter I could take as much medication as I want to take and it just it's not going to make a hint of difference because there are other factors as well that I think that maybe the psychiatrist and other you know people in mental health should be focusing on so that we can have this awareness like what what how does our diet impact our hormones and our ADHD or the way that we structure like because the tips and things that you see on social media not going to work for everybody they don't work for me i kept comparing my experience with theirs and i was like why am i not getting this and then you realize that in some ways it's been turned into like a marketing thing because some people are using it as an opportunity like here are the five things you need for ADHD you know, if you have ADHD mm. and it'd be like a link to their Amazon storefront or wow. something. And I'm like, we're we turning in this into like mm-hmm. a little affiliate link moment. Like that's not, that's not it. You know, it's like, and it's like some sort of notebook or like a, a, a clock or something. And I'm just like, no, this is, it's so much deeper than that. Like it is so different for every person. And I think when you really realize that's the case and not watch all of these uh, hacks and things like that then it will change. And I think that's the thing for me. Once I just let go of this idea that my ADHD is going to be like everybody else's on social media, um, I was able to figure out what works for me. So that helped me, I guess, understand what my ADHD was. And it's just made my relationship with the condition a lot better as well. And I feel like I'm finally, it's almost like coming out of my shell again, because I feel a bit more confident with my abilities and, and also where my downfalls are because we all have them. And I think there's been so much shame in, especially if you have ADHD and weren't diagnosed as a child, you will remember those traumatic moments of teachers, maybe yelling or calling you stupid or saying you weren't good enough for all of these things. And you have to, I suppose, let go of that and just realize that it wasn't your fault. I think that's the biggest thing. That was the thing I keep telling myself, it's not your fault. It wasn't your fault. Like it should have been picked up on. It wasn't. And, you know, you're having to now pick up the pieces of those things now as an adult, whilst also managing to live life and try and go on with your career and everything. So it's, it's a very, str- I think there's actually should be a bit more of a focus on what it is like post-diagnosis, because for some people, you know, they feel great. They're like, great. I got this diagnosis. Um, this is wonderful I'm going to take my medication it's gonna be fantastic and for some people it's just like depressing and you know very frustrating you know like why doesn't my brain work like anybody else's why am I struggling with this I'm a grown adult why can't I do xyz why can't I get out the house on time why can't I meet these deadlines or whatever it is and it's just like beating yourself up does what
0: I read something as well that was kind of saying something to this where it was like sometimes with ADHD getting a diagnosis isn't helpful for some people. It's like you don't need it. It's like if you're doing all the lifestyle things and you've worked out how to manage it, sometimes that diagnosis, especially because of the cost that you can incur in the time, it's kind of not. Mm -hmm. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the
1: perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: Earlier on, you mentioned unmasking. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could explain first of all what masking is for people who aren't aware. And then also about that unmasking thing that you kind of went through, because I think that's interesting as well.
1: Yeah, so masking is basically trying to hide or suppress, um, I suppose, the way that your ADHD presents. So as I said before, it could be that you have to try and not have those outbursts, like when you're speaking to someone. So for me, when I'm in like a social setting with people I know, and they're aware, I don't feel as much pressure to mask it. Because it's not to say that I'm not like, I don't care if I'm being rude or something like that, but I just feel like it's easier for me to, like, be myself. And if I interrupt, because I'm like, oh, I've got, you know, a similar story to tell. Because it isn't actually based in rudeness. It's more the fact that you you have a similar story to tell. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, when I went blah, blah, blah. But when in a work setting, that's not always appropriate. Like, you know, you're having a chat with your boss and then you interrupt them. So you find ways to suppress it. And it could be different for different people. It could be you know something you do physically to stop yourself it could be like a little i guess series of things that you say in your mind i don't know it could be just different for everybody and you do these to basically be able to live in a in a world and uh where you're able to be taken seriously or be liked or something like that and i think the longer you're in a place when or the longer you know someone it becomes easier or maybe it's even like a natural thing where it starts to like come away you know and you just start being a bit more yourself and you relax into it and I know that this was happening in my last job because like I said I was the only nurse so it was me and my boss working together pretty much every single day sometimes for hours just us in the you know operating theater or something like that and so chatting just became like our natural thing so I would notice that I would be very very casual and I would have these outbursts and and luckily he was quite easygoing and And he, you know, it was never a problem. So I was able to get away with it. But I think it could be a lot trickier if you're in a big team or maybe you're in a position where like you're doing something like law or whatever, like where you've got to really have this specific way of acting. I think that's going to be a lot trickier. So it's just basically being able to either like hide your personality to a degree and then being able to show your personality. But it can be really draining because you can do it all day you know, and you're just like, like for me, for example, like doing this job, you know, when you have to go to events and there's a lot of other people from social media and maybe you don't know them. Like I'm really, I don't, I can't socialize. I have social anxiety as It is, but I also have to present differently. And at the end of it, I'm just mentally and emotionally exhausted. I can't do it. And it's funny because I didn't even consider the way that I was presenting till I was speaking to my partner where he's been with me at a few events. And he was like, you know, like when you were speaking to so-and-so and they were chatting, you just walked off. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, they were all talking. Like you were in the group, but you just walked away. And I was like, yeah, well, I had something I had to go and shoot. And he was like, yeah, but how that looks, it, it looks rude. Like I know you're not being rude, but it can look rude because they may not be aware of a kind of like what's going on. And I was like, Jesus, how many times have I probably done this, things like that or had an outburst or whatever where I've like let slip? So it's just, it's very, very difficult to even sometimes know when you are masking or when you're not, because it becomes like ingrained. And sometimes you just, I think maybe you get so tired of doing it, you just like, it melts away for a second. But yeah, it's like, also that helps me know that I have to kind of limit my social interaction because it's like, it takes me days to recover from something like that. When I was a kid, more maybe like secondary school, actually, I had... I was bullied for most of it. And I had a group of friends probably for the last few years. And I remember, you know, sometimes it can happen when there's like a group of young girls, like you get little cliques within mm. it. And I would hear comments of like, they, they certain ones wouldn't want to hang out with me because I was too opinionated or, you know, I always had something to say on XYZ. And it was just like, I thought I was just being conversational and giving an input because they'd spoken about a situation like to me I was like what do you mean opinionated that was also another thing that was always in my reports as well and you know now I get it but I'm just like it's very interesting that I can maybe excuse it for back in the day but I think we're very very aware of conditions like this now and I think it's interesting how we go on especially like mental health day about you know checking on a friend and be more considerate blah 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 but people don't realize how these things manifest. And it's Mm. not always in this kind of like, oh, you either go crazy or sometimes you're a bit sad. Like sometimes it's just these like everyday situations where like, yeah, they're going to come across rude, but like, I'm not to say that people have to put up with these things, but if you're going to scream, you care about mental health, then you have to consider that they're not always going to present in ways that are understandable, easy to deal with. And, you know, I think telling people that they maybe they're coming across through it's not very helpful you internalize it and you think I'm a shitty friend I'm a shit person and that's that's a hard thing to, to I think you know I wrote a blog post recently about how difficult it's been making friends especially in my 20s and I realize it has come a lot from the trauma of basically being victimized and isolated and these comments made about who, who I am and of course I was you know undiagnosed but I wonder even if I was diagnosed back then whether people would have actually been his kind anyway
0: I still wonder if we wouldn't have had as much of an understanding of like the type of ADHD yes how it happens to you but it was interesting what you're saying about school I remember I would always my main thing I was always getting in trouble within the girl group because I'd always say things you weren't supposed to say but I wouldn't know (laughs) and I remember I would sit at the dining table and I'd watch everyone and I'd like try and figure out when they spoke and like after mm-hmm. I'd got in trouble for doing something. So I'd literally watch. Yes. And then like an actor, I'd be like, yes. this seems like a good time to no, go. And then exactly. it would always be wrong. Cause yeah. and that I can so I can actually kind of remember masking. And it's now like not all like again, it's really bad. I'm not diagnosed. Maybe this is just me, but this is what it feels like. I've definitely done these things, whether or not it's but as I'm getting older again like you, I can feel it kind of coming away and this is where I'm starting to... And it, I think they do say, it, is that it's around in your late 20s, isn't it, that women do tend to try and then seek out a diagnosis if you like haven't...
1: To be honest, I don't know. I'm not actually even aware of that statistic. I think it makes sense because and I think that is why we're seeing this huge Mm. kind of increase because obviously social media has helped with awareness, but I imagine without looking it up that a large proportion of those people seeking a diagnosis are women in that, in that age category. I think because we come to a sort of almost a crossroads, maybe in our personal relationships and in our careers and we reflect on, on feedback and where we're at and things, the comments that have been made and we think, Okay, well, if it's been a repeated pattern, it's very much that it's not you, it's me. And, you know, the good thing to do is obviously to consider and look out why why that may be. But I think having that um, introspection can be quite difficult because you have to confront things that maybe you don't don't really want to.
0: It's interesting. Sorry, I'm going to come kind of completely come away and zoom out. But so your timeline has kind of been completely shifted by ADHD and not having that diagnosis. That like you said you had to kind of change what subjects you were studying, and then you went on to do veterinary nursing, and now you do your blog and your Instagram and all of that kind of thing. And I guess it's interesting to see how you've managed to make the world fit around the way that you can address it and attack it.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny because in some ways my timeline has changed and in some ways it kind of almost went how it was meant to so from a very very young age I always knew I wanted to work with animals and I made a decision that I wanted to do veterinary medicine and as I started to approach the GCSE level and realized what subjects I needed you know I tried to pick my subjects based on that and I was told basically that my grades weren't good enough to take certain ones. So I had to adjust it a little and I didn't care too much about what was going to happen. I thought, let me just focus on the now. And I thought, let me make it up when I go to college. Instead of doing A-levels, I'm going to do something called the International Baccalaureate, which is a very, very intense course where you're doing essentially like six subjects and you do that constantly throughout the the two years. And then you pick like higher level, standard level. So I thought I'm going to pick the higher level subjects that are appropriate for veterinary medicine. And I don't know if you had this, but there's a time that comes when you're coming up to exams where people from different universities and certain courses come in to do talks. And I remember them coming in about veterinary medicine. And they said basically that they wanted or would only consider if you had like sevens, which I guess would be like a star star essentially in the top three subjects. And I thought, yeah, there's no way in hell I'm getting a seven in chemistry. So I thought, okay, I do want to do something with with animals or nature or something like that. So I picked zoology. And for many, many reasons, my studying, my revision, my exams did not go very well. Unsurprisingly, the ones I did really, really well in are psychology and English, but my science subjects were very, very poor. And So my application to do zoology at university was rejected and I was very, very upset. And my mum actually suggested veterinary nursing because there are other ways you can do it. You don't actually have to go to university. You can work and study at the same time. And although you don't get a degree, you basically get... A diploma, which is, you know, it, it's not really that much different. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. So I did, and it was great. And I did really, really well in it because the structure was completely different. I was working six days a week or five, six days a week. And then I was studying elsewhere one day a week. And obviously you do a lot of practical based things, mm-hmm. which now I know makes sense because I worked better by doing rather than reading or listening. And yeah, so is the, although I wasn't a vet, I was a veterinary nurse. I was working the exact same thing. And it actually suited me a lot better. And then I think maybe if the pandemic hadn't happened, I would have continued doing it. But I think being furloughed, having that control and seeing how social media did suit me and having things to say and being able to be more creative. I just thought when the opportunity came to be able to do it full time, I just had to take it. And I mean, obviously, it is a struggle working for yourself because you have to regulate everything. And I know that if I don't, for example, set an alarm or I don't have set times to do certain tasks, my day will crumble. And I'll be like, I've sat here doing nothing. And I still have situations where it's like if I've got one thing to do in the day, nothing else is happening. Have a meeting at three o'clock. I will do nothing until then.
0: That is so funny. I got. I, I have the same thing. It's like a mental block. Whereas mm-hmm. if my day is really busy, it's amazing because it's like I. I can't think. It's like this yes. morning I had to get up really early because I had an event. I had to go but quarter to six went to the event I had to come straight back here do this podcast and then i've got like four more things i have to do that will take me like a couple of hours each whatever. and so that is like perfect for me because yeah. i do not have time to stop but in, i'm exactly the same as you it's like paralyzing yes. if i just have yeah. one thing at three which is why i try always book everything in in the morning because if i got like same if i yeah. have a meeting at nine it means for the rest of the day i can just do my work mm-hmm. and it's like i'm like there's it's literally my brain is full with that yeah. thing at, at yeah. 3 p.m and it's like you can't do anything yes. else
1: and is it's, it's it's horrible because on the outside it does look like laziness, right? I can be sitting there on the armchair with my phone and I know I've got things to do technically, but maybe I've got something else to do later that I have to go to and I just can't move. But inside it's like, like a constant reel of like, you should do this and you should do that. And then there's also like this sort of self-deprecating aspect of it because I'm like Jesus just get up mm-hmm. just get up and do something you're going to be so annoyed by the end of the day that you haven't done it, and it still won't be enough it's like so some days you know even with medication that can happen so it's not like a, a fix all it's just this is what I was saying before about having the tools to know how you work how your brain works and sometimes you just have to have those days where it's not going to work and make up for it in other ways using certain apps for example has been life-changing for me to uh structure my day so I use like something called notion where I'm able to break things down and also tick them off like a lot of people hate lists I love and I love writing <laughs> lists it it it's just like that first of all there's that sense of accomplishment when you can take something off but also just being able to break down into very very small detail about what I need to do just, I'm able, it, it makes everything seem so much more manageable because if you just write it as like one line of mm. like, I've got to do X, Y, Z, it seemed like a big task. But if you just kind of like break it down into small tasks, you're like, okay, I can do that, that, and that, and that, and it's done. So it's like, for some people, they don't need lists, they need something else. But now I know that that's how it works for me. I'm able to get it done. But um, it's, it's very frustrating because it can take a really long time to learn what you need yeah. as an individual and if you only kind of take everything from social media and think that you need to buy this thing from amazon and that's going to change your life then you'll be severely disappointed when um you've spent you know nearly 100 pounds on notebooks throughout the year and and it's never worked which is another thing also it's like you can pick up hobbies pick up things that interest you regularly and drop them because then the dopamine hit has worn off and then you move on to something i, I think it plays on that very much so it's like you've got to I guess like the big thing with ADHD is obviously being able to regulate your emotions is incredibly hard but basically almost unable to do it so finding ways to be able to recognize things like for me for example I like to buy things when I'm feeling down (laughs) which a lot of people do but it's like it's like compulsive yeah it's almost like it's it's immediately what I go to I'll I'll try and find something else and I have a thing where I'm just like I will just put things in the basket and almost trick my brain that Mm. I bought it I and then do that leave and it. Then don't buy it. Yeah, but that's
0: also because I try not to like. And you're the same, only sustainably. So I have fun where I pretend to buy things. Yes, yes, yeah. And then never I yeah. got them. Yeah.
1: And in some ways, it's like it's fine because also it's like if I haven't thought about it for like another month, then I probably didn't even need yeah. to buy it anyway. But um, you- I know that I still allow myself to browse. I just have enough restraint now, I suppose, to just trick my brain into thinking like, yeah, I got it. It was great. And then I'm just like, delete the page. <laughs> do you get hyperfixated on things? I do. Yeah. I mean it's interesting cause it can change. I think sometimes when it comes, I think that's also the thing with creating. I really do enjoy what I, I make and I like making my lovely sort of aesthetic videos and editing and things like that. I like the process. So, you know, when I'm in my editing hole and I sit there for hours, like it's, it's wonderful because no one can kind of pull me out of it, but it also means that everything else gets neglected. So it can be really tricky. Um, and with things like hobbies, <laughs> which is funny because I never even recognized this one. I thought, no, like when I like something, I stick to it and whatever, because throughout my life, I have been like that. I was dancing for many, many years. I didn't like just say, oh, mom, I want to do it and then stop. I did it for a really long time. And I think maybe lockdown highlighted this the most because I was very influenced by what other people were doing the rollerblading thing. Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, I can do that. That seems fun yeah, I spent a lot of money. I had to get like, you know, the most colorful ones and they were expensive. And I was like, no, I'm not going to have black knee pads. I'm going to have bright purple ones with rainbow straps, spend another like 40 quid. And I did it maybe three times. (gasps) Yeah. The (laughs) rollerblades are collecting dust. Uh, And yeah, I still refuse to sell them. And then I convinced myself I was going to go back to Irish dancing. So I spent a lot of money trying to find new shoes and somewhere to go. And I got the size wrong three times and had to buy them, send them back, buy them send them back i have never used them are you irish i am irish i didn't know that yeah
0: that's so demi com- colleen of course um, yeah. yes. but,
1: both sides
0: or- no half my mum's irish yeah so, yeah well, i never does, did that i like saying like now.
1: irish people can't be brown obviously they can <laughs> and then my dad is from jamaica is what i was yeah, trying yeah. to say yeah um, i mixed <laughs> yeah my my mum is irish um
0: Oh, I love that. That's cute. Yeah. Oh yeah. I never did Irish dancing. Sadly. I,
1: yeah, I loved it. And you know, the thing is I enjoyed dancing, but I think I was very focused on the winning and that became a problem because a lot of kids, they get upset, but I got upset. Oh, like really? my mum started getting concerned because it was like, I hated myself if I didn't win. And yet at the same time, I struggled having the structure to practice regularly So I'd get annoyed that I wasn't winning and it was like, okay, but if you're not practicing (laughs) regularly, then like, how do you expect to, you know, do better? There's always this like massive contrast. um, And having to give that up was really, really tough, which is why I wanted to go back to it. I think um, this is something I came to a conclusion with yesterday about how when you have the diagnosis, I feel like there's this thing where you start kind of reconnecting with your childhood. I feel like I want to do the things that I did when I was younger that maybe... I wasn't able to fully enjoy. It's like, that's why I want to go back to dancing because there's no competitiveness now. I can just do it as a hobby. And I keep finding myself going back to like Disney and I'm like watching all my, you know, Disney movies that were like very comforting to me as a kid or the snacks I used to have. And it's just like, it's a very interesting thing. I'm always like going, like rescinding into like Baby Demi because like I wasn't able to fully enjoy those things because they always like kind of tinged with this, negativity and now i can just be like no i'm gonna have it in a different way now that i'm older
0: that's really sweet and i like the idea of sort of like tying things in a bow and picking things like where you left them yeah because i am terrible oh my god i have a new hobby every month, and i get really fixated yeah. on it especially when i've got something else to do and oh. then i'm like i have yes. to paint it's literally and it's like there. i literally have worked it i'm right. like i eight hours yes. painting yes
1: yeah. no this is exactly me because i'm i have like loads of decorating i need to do and i will have a full list of things to do including like very very important deadlines and i'm like i'm going to i'm going to research furniture instead yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and then sometimes i can't even finish that so i don't even buy the furniture so i'm like i'm just wasted 2 hours looking for furniture that i didn't buy that's fantastic i honestly feel like it's such a relief to speak to you because
0: it can i think it can be like you said especially things with mental health i think when people's behaviors if, if don't fit into like the perfect capitalist um like productivity person mm-hmm. it's then hard to realize that that can just be like a natural also and, and actually I have to say and I was gonna say this before even if you're not someone who's neurodivergent the world it's very difficult we have a lot of shit to do and actually it's a horrible truth that you find out as you get older that living in a routine is actually really good for you you know you kind of want to be I always want to be like resistant to and I'm so laissez fan. I do what everyone want and then I realize I feel my best when I'm waking up at six in the morning mm-hmm. having a little morning routine
1: going it's to the gym it's awful it, when you realize it's so that annoying. Routine, like I started Exercising again last month after many, many years of not. And uh, so I do bar and I tried at first different times. I was like, "I'm gonna go in the afternoon because I don't want to get up early. I'll go in the evening because I don't want to go too early." Didn't work. The only one that works for me is the very, very early. Yeah, morning I have class. to go the
0: first yeah. thing because then again, it's not a task that's my to day. achieve in the middle yeah. of the day. Yeah, it's like done. And if, I, I can. if I
1: put it at the end of the day, I'm telling you that I had like a 6 p.m. class, didn't do anything. <laughs> that was it <laughs> I was I, like, I've got class later. I have to sit here. I felt because <laughs> that's why I got early because then I'm like I can get
0: everything done in the morning. If I go in the middle of the day, I'll be like kind of halfway into to go or
1: like it just throws it's me like a barrier so it's yeah like, yeah no I know and it's just you know I'm I love to sleep and <laughs> it's very sad to realize that actually I I thrive better on early starts and I'm not a morning person so but that's the thing I mean it's like you have to sometimes give yourself a bit of balance so like on the weekend I'll let myself have a little bit of a of a lie-in but I still have to keep that structure if I start sleeping in oh I'll cancel that Monday morning (laughs) alarm it's not happening
0: I've loved this I've, I've really enjoyed speaking to you and I think it's so interesting and thank you for being so candid about it because I think you've given a really full picture of ADHD and I think that that's I think people still do envision that little boy that runs around the classroom drawing yeah. the walls. That's yeah. kind of the the bigger picture um Is there anything else that you haven't shared with us that you'd like to tell us about or
1: don't think so. I think the only thing I would say which isn't personal to me, but I think you know if you've had that experience with your g p where they have um shamed you or made you feel some type of way about seeking a diagnosis because of you know your age or being a woman or whatever it is you can push just just keep trying whether it's you requesting to see a different doctor um going on like psychiatry uk their website where they have a lot of information on right to choose for example obviously if you are able to afford a private diagnosis it's something to consider but it is very very expensive like two grand. It, it isn't, yeah, it, It's yeah it's a lot and that's just one part of it then there's the private prescription and for me like they say that for example the titration length is supposed to be something like eight weeks mine took a year so thinking about paying a private prescription every month or so Mm. for a year is is too much so you know it's frustrating like I said I know I'm very very lucky that I got my diagnosis quite quickly after seeking a um, referral and some people are waiting a very very long time but if you're not even able to get to that stage, just, just keep pushing. Um, and quite honestly, I would, I'd be reporting doctors that say that kind of thing. That's not what they're meant to say. They are not experts in that field. They are not psychiatrists. So for them to dismiss your, uh, suspicion when they don't have anything to back that up is, is completely unprofessional. So just, I hope people feel a bit more empowered after hearing this that, you know, if they still genuinely believe that it's something that they need to um, look into, then just just keep going. Mm. And also, um, if they're interested to know the process, I have a whole highlight on my Instagram from start to where I am now about the process uh, and, and how I got my diagnosis. So they can look there. And so I was next going to say you're Demi Colleen on
0: Instagram and is there anything other, any other products or anything you've got coming up that you wanted to tell us about? Uh,
1: nothing I can say at the moment. Oh, <laughs> exciting. But I do have my website which is demicolleen.com. Um, I also speak quite candidly about my ADHD and everything on Twitter which is also at Demi Colleen and on TikTok which is at Demi Colleen. So <laughs> I'm on everything. Yeah. Easy to find. Oh, well, thank you so much for to you.
0: me. i really enjoyed it. And the sun has come out. It I've is. Got. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening. I will see you next week.